everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are here to review Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 8, All In. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than Cal Jones. How are you doing, man? I am here. I am kind of wibbly wobbly because we're doing this on a different day, but that being said, I'm here. I'm happy to be here. I'm always happy to be here and look forward to talking with you guys. Yeah, man. Glad to have you, sir. And also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, dude? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, I agree with Kyle. Just been a busy week for sure. And more than that in one day today. But I get to talk about Star Trek, what makes the day just a little bit better. Awesome sauce. Like always, what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek, make sure you like and subscribe and be sure to review us on iTunes or whichever podcasting platform you are currently listening on. We are going to get right into our review of Star Trek Discovery All In. All In was written by Sean Cochran, while the episode was directed by Christopher J. Byrne and Jen McGowan. Following a hunch, Captain Byrne on tracks book to an old haunt from their carrier days and gets drawn into a high stakes competition for a powerful weapon. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Like always, we go to Kyle Jones for the beats of the episode, sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Quite frankly, you never know. Kyle Jones, what do you have for us this week? To win is to lose, and to lose is to win. It's all about how you play the hand you are dealt. All righty. True words. True words. John, let's get your high-level thoughts on the episode, man. Um, hmm. It was a lot, man. It was a lot. <laughs> I... <laughs> it's hard to give high level thoughts on this. It was a great episode, man. Absolutely great episode. We had a I don't I don't know, man. It's just hard to put in a short amount of words. But I'll say this. I'll say this. Kudos to the writing staff for putting together such a great episode and such a small set. Hmm. If that makes any sense. I mean, you get to used to a trick like we get these either on a planet or it's just multiple ships and warping the places. And like all this happened at one small place. And sometimes in Trek that can tend to get kind of unimportant. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it. Uh, it's just kind of hard to fit a good story in it. And they did a great job here. Cal, what, what do we call those in Doctor Who? What do, we, what do we call those episodes where in one place most of the episode in Doctor Who? Like, um... Oh, um, uh, 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 base under siege. Yeah, yeah, base under siege episodes. Which <laughs> technically this isn't one, but you know it just kind of reminded me of that. But Mr. Jones, yeah. what are your high level thoughts on the episode? Well, this has well my my biggest takeaway, and this is not necessarily about anything that was happening in the story. So maybe this is kind of a side subject here. But it took me a moment to get reacclimated back into the story. Now, once I did, you know, it was full sets, you know, full sails ahead, you know, full steam ahead, et cetera, whatever, however you want to call it. But it took me a moment to, like, remember exactly what was going on. That said, 
I really enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't my favorite story, to be honest with you, but I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, and honestly, I think I'm kind of there with you, Mr. Jones, on this one. I did not love this episode. I feel like it had a lot of interesting elements in it that I thought um, were well done. But I don't know. I don't know. I feel like uh, this this chasing after book thing and not really seeing a resolution between I guess there isn't never going to be a real resolution between uh, Burnham and book. But, you know, I feel like she's still kind of, I guess, in love is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> it's just weird. It's just weird. So, I mean, you have that aspect going on and then you're in one place the whole time, which they did well with that. But I don't know if a high sex poker game was really what I was looking for out of Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) If I don't if you don't mind me asking or going back to my question, I would like to know you and Jonathan's opinion on the comment I made about getting reacclimated. What do you guys think about this breaking up? series A of Star Trek and inserting it with another series B of Star Trek and then coming back immediately back to series A. Does that work or does that just kind of confuse the narrative? You know, and I may have mentioned this a while back when they were announcing a lot of things and I'll be the last one to say too much trick, but it's a slippery slope if not done well. And I think we're kind of on the precipice of not doing well. <laughs> and depending on where they go from here will be depending on which way we fall. Um, to your point, Kyle, yes, going into this, I was like, so at first I skipped the recap, right? So I just went right into it. I was like, you know what? I don't need the recap. I remember what happened. And then they're like on the hunt for book. And I'm like, wait, did they already, did they do something? Yeah. I forgot that they had actually stole the prototype and put it in book ship. So like I missed that. So I had to go back and watch the recap and come back in. So I definitely understand where you're coming from, from that. And, you know, it's just kind of one of those things is, you know, just like antiques or wine or whatever the case may be, the rarer it is, the more appreciative you are to have it. And I think if we just have too much, we'll stop appreciating what we have currently. So like discovery was, for me, like this great thing, I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it, but now I'm loving and enjoying Prodigy. I love and enjoy Picard, and I'm just gonna like, uh, all right, you know, I don't know. Yeah, uh, for me, I think it's fine as long as we don't have overlap. And I think what we're seeing as well is just production timelines not fully being in place. So I think the alternative would be is we wait until this summer to get a full season of Prodigy. Or we wait probably until now to get the full season of Discovery. So I think they're just meeting up against production timelines and are choosing to try to pick natural cutoff points for mid-season and then continue. And Kyle, I know one of your favorite shows is Walking Dead, and they are notorious for doing this. But... And, 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 and you know what? I guess you're right. Cause I was about to, con- you know, counterpoint you there, but I contradicted myself in my head with my counterpoint by saying, well, they don't put something else in, but they do. Because usually when you have that break in The Walking Dead, you have Fear the Walking Dead on during that break. Yeah. So it doesn't make me like it less, but it just for, for some reason made me, take a moment to get 
back into the story. And it could be nothing more than we were just so wrapped up in how great Prodigy was. And, and I also think it's different strokes for different folks. Because Prodigy, even though we're kind of the people who watch everything and love all Trek, honestly, Prodigy, even though it is a very adult show, I feel is geared for younger kids. Just like, again, making the Walking Dead analogy. I never watched Fear the Walking Dead. I didn't watch the Beyond World Walking Dead or whatever the other spinoff they had until later. So, you know, I mean, I think it's just different strokes for different folks. You're going to have people who don't watch Lower Decks who just wait for Discovery or just wait for Picard. So I think it's, it's, it's in that aspect, they're filling in all the gaps. Cool. I still I, I, I feel like and hopefully no one from Paramount hears this, uh, but like I would rather wait a year and finish a season. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I, it would suck. It would absolutely suck. I would hate waiting, just like I'm waiting for Yellowstone now. But it just makes it that much better when it comes. Man, I don't know. Ask, ask the Doctor Who fans how they feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> we had to wait a year and a half, two years for a new season sometimes. Yeah. And then oh, you just wow. feel like you have acid reflux when you finally get something sometimes but anyway that's another show and another podcast even another story for another day yes so do you think this has crossed my mind i know we're gonna get back to the actual episode i've had kind of the slight feeling do you think paramount is gearing all of these more toward oh i guess they would have to money making but like i feel like it's being geared more away from actual trick lovers well i mean i don't think so i just think discovery now is playing in a different you know a lot of un- unknowns well not not specific specific series i'm just saying like the amount the just the quantity of series we have now and the varying series all at one time like it's just like let's throw it out there and hope we hook something Instead of let's get the trick, the hardcore trekkies on board, and that'll be our core. Now, I think they're just covering all the bases, to be honest. They're covering each demographic. To me, the biggest wing they took is with Lower Decks, because that's, you know, I know people love it and I'm not crapping on it, but to me, that's the biggest wing of being something very different, but also in the Star Trek universe. So I do think they're just trying to cover all the bases, which is fine. I mean, it's a tent pole of their streaming service. So, you know, I have no qualms with that. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that is from from reading comic books since before I could read. If I sit back and I look at the medium, that is exactly what they do. You have your all ages version. You have your max adult version. You in order to cultivate your audience, you have to have something more than those core diehards. Because if you only have that, you don't grow your audience. And at the end of the day, no matter how much we like any property, whether it's Star Wars, Doctor Who, Star Trek, whatever, they're about making money. Yeah. So, so guys, let's let's just go ahead and get into it. So the scramble is on to find Book and Tarka. I mean, almost immediately we get something very interesting that had my head spinning. So it was a dual encryption system to get the actual spore prototype, the spore drive prototype. So the codes that were used were both that of Tarka and Vance. Any thoughts or theories from that early revelation? Or is or is Ruan Tarka just smart enough to figure out what Vance's codes are? Mm, I would have to lean toward 
uh, Tarka just figured it out. If Vance, and I do believe, I still believe he may have a small ulterior motive to do something not so good. Even if he did, I don't think he would have been dumb enough to use his code. Thoughts, Carol? I don't trust Tarka. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I don't think, you know, I think the, the, the Vance thing is a red herring. I think they wanted you to kind of question him, but... I don't trust Tarka in the very least. But I'll follow up by saying we do get a bunch of additional information that we didn't know about the Tarka Vance relationship. We know that we now know that Vance handpicked Tarka 10 years ago. So he's been around for 10 years working for Vance. And it just seems a little on the nose, but maybe, maybe they are trying to draw a parallel between Book and Burnham and. In, in Vance and Tarka. That might be what they're trying to do. And Vance has something brewing with his family and all this. Like he's, I feel like he's being pressured into something. Mm. Interesting. It, it, that is funny that you mention that because I do think it's interesting that he keeps referencing. We've never seen them, I don't think. Correct right. me if I'm wrong. But he keeps mentioning sending my family away. I finally got my family back. <laughs> I think we saw him briefly in the episode when we first went to Starfleet headquarters at that ceremony. I think we may have saw him briefly. I think you're right. But I don't know. It just seems kind of weird. I'm I'm not that quick to say Vance is a bad guy. But he also shows a willingness to have Burnham kind of do this secret mission against the Federation president's orders to find Tarka. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence about him. Yeah. And that's very much outside of the norm for Starfleet Admiral. It's usually very, very much by the book. Rarely do you see them give any bend at all. And this is just like total sideways veer from the job. So it's 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 weird for an admiral to do that, which kind of throws the question of his character in. I don't know. Yeah, it really does. So so now Book and Tarker are on Federation's most wanted list <laughs> at the top of the list. I didn't know we had that. <laughs> <laughs> but Cal, I'm gonna throw this to you, man. I have a bigger question. At this point, is Book redeemable? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that question. I would love for him to be redeemable. But I think it's all about where he goes next. And I also think if if we find out that somehow the Federation is responsible for whatever this is, and this is some big cover up and the Vance angle of whatever you guys were just talking about is something that's going on, then by all means, yes, he will be redeemable. It's just got to play out. I, I would like for him to be. I like the character. But I think they're skating on the point of no return unless there's a curveball. Yeah. I'm going to go on a limb and say he's not and we won't see him in the next season of Discovery. Oh, no. (laughs) And it's Star Trek and it's Starfleet and the Federation. Like, I think at some point everybody is redeemable. I don't know, man. He's getting the bomb to go blow up the people we don't know about. I mean, we've. We've seen a lot of bad characters become, I mean, just are redeemed with Starfleet and the Federation. Mm. Well, considering the fact that this has already been recorded, right? So they've already shot all these episodes, right? Yeah. 
Right. Okay, because so considering that and considering the fact that he is British, I have 14 reasons why I would be happy for him not to return next season on Discovery. Yeah, I'm lost. This doctor reference. <laughs> yeah, I would be happy if he were cast as the 14th Doctor. I would love that too. Uh, well, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. I'm not. <laughs> I like book man, and I think I don't know unless they unless they kill him off. It's always an option. Now I do think because well, let me say this. I think not having book around makes the show more exciting in a, in some ways because we get this excursion of Owo and and Burnham, which we you know that's been very rare to see her go on a way mission with anybody besides book at this point. So with that in mind, I am more excited about a future Sans David Ajala, even though I really like David Ajala. Hmm. Totally agree. You know, I think you've got so many characters that deserve a limelight that you don't get to see. And if that were, if I were to say my one gripe about Discovery as a whole is you do have these characters that are on the bridge that I think are awesome characters, but you've focused on a select group and haven't given it as much of an ensemble as maybe what it could have been. Yeah, and I know we're ready to move on, but I just want to add real quick. I want to see Burnham operate Sans love interest. She was it was her and Ash Tyler in the the early seasons, and now it's her and Book. Just let her be the captain and be you know badass, and you know we don't have to really focus on her love life so much. All right. So guys, let's go beyond the galactic barrier. So the sphere data actually comes in handy uh, when they're trying to figure out exactly where these coordinates are this kind of leads to burnham mentioning an old friend who has star maps that are in that area in a i guess this place um paratia is outside of federation jurisdiction so she has the brilliant idea to go there to get the star maps but ulterior motive she worked with vance to try to bring in book or get more information on book and Tarka. So I think that makes a lot of sense. One thing I want to mention about when they, when book and, and, and Tarka first get there and they give over the money to Haas. Haas. I just remember Haas. So he gives Haas so, some Latinum. So John, just remind us real quick. What are the four denominations of Latinum that was in your Trek trivia a while back? And could you tell what they paid in, in this scene? Uh, yes. So you have slits, strips, bars, and bricks. So what they were paying him in was bars. Now it looks a little different from the bars we would have seen on DS9. DS9's bars were like a little bit longer rectangle. So I would, if I had to roughly estimate, I'd say like four by two rectangle. That's probably three quarter inch thick. These were just a little bit more squared off, but still, still about the same size as a bar. So obviously, Book doesn't have enough to pay for this uh, isolinium, and he offers to wrangle a cheater in the establishment, which we know is a, a, a barge casino that's floating out in the middle of this ocean planet, which I thought looked pretty cool. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, and to jump to the end real quick, they do find the cheater. Now, did you find it interesting that the cheater? Was a changeling? I 
did, and I'm hoping they did that for a reason. Hmm. We'll get those theories going. We'll revisit that at the end of this conversation. <laughs> Kyle, what did you think about that that scene where we see this barge that's kind of on this water planet? It kind of, well, before I let you answer, it kind of reminded me a li- little bit, and maybe, John, you might know this. Wasn't the Sulaban compound with all their small cubes, wasn't it behind like some uh, barrier that was hidden similarly, or was that in a cloud or nebula? It was in a nebula. Oh, okay. Okay. Hmm. I'll take you in a different direction. It reminded me of Themyscira and the original Wonder Woman because yeah. it was hidden behind, uh, you know, a cloud or, you know, enchantment. I mean, I know this is different, but that's what it kind of reminded me of, especially considering it was out in the ocean and you think you're going into something and you're actually going into something else. That's That was my take. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty fantastic shot there. Thoughts on Owo in this episode? Just general. You can you can take it to his natural conclusion. What are your thoughts on Owasakan? Oh, I loved it. And it it was almost Owa oh, oh my was my was <laughs> oh going my. to be yes, was <laughs> going to be my um beat of the episode until I came up with the to win to lose and to lose is to win. I loved seeing back to what I was saying a minute ago. I loved seeing one of the characters, I'm not going to say lesser characters, I'm going to say other characters, getting limelight. I loved that. And I am assuming that I read this correctly or watched it correctly, that her losing, air quotes, was not really losing. It was so she could come back and beat the you-know-what out of him, which she did and won. Woohoo. Oh, was it? I didn't catch that. So it was it was a um, a con, so to speak. Yes, it was because remember they they came in right after and said you you conned us. Yeah, they did. Hmm. Well, and the reason every time she would lose in rematch, the odds for her winning grew. I mean, were less. Oh yes, you're right. So it started out at ten to one odds, and by the time we got to the last rematch, there were forty to one odds that you would win. Yeah. Hmm. Now, while I liked the fight, I do feel like it was a little bit underwhelming. And that's just my personal opinion. What what did you think, John? As far as fight scenes go, I appreciate that she or either her stunt double, whatever the the fight wasn't done by camera magic. Mm. Like whoever was doing the fighting actually. And I'm not I can't really say that they were actually a a well-trained fighter. But you can tell that they actually trained for that moment. So it, it was, was choreographed a, well. Yeah, it was choreographed well. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times you get those bad fight scenes where they throw a punch and it kind of twitch the camera to make it look a little stronger or faster or whatever the case may be. You didn't see a lot of that. So I did appreciate that. But yes, Clarence, I was kind of underwhelmed because I kind of figured we were going to see like a just a badass oh wow yeah moment you know what i mean like i thought she was going to come out in that last match with some kind of clean on martial arts or something you know what i mean and but i mean it was just a regular street fight and really she kind of cheated because it was a guy i mean i know (laughs) that's not his fault but (laughs) if if it had been a woman with the same skills she wouldn't have won that match he went high she went low (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> but she did what she had to do, and I appreciate that. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, for one, think the seven or nine rock fight was much better. Oh, yeah. It probably wasn't. I need to go back and watch it. 
It was. So, Kyle, I'm going to throw this back at you. This is another oh, oh question. Oh, oh, my. She asked Tarka some good questions. And I just want to know your thoughts on these questions as I repeat them back to you. Is Tarka keeping a promise? What did Tarka lose? I don't trust Tarka. Seriously, I mean, and the actor plays it so well. I'm not being coy and I'm not trying to evade the question. I don't really pay attention to him because the actor that plays him plays it so well. I don't like the character. It, it, he irks me for some reason. Yeah. So, and, and maybe it's because you know how when you have somebody that you like as a character or whatever, and you got this other character that's leading them astray. And yeah. maybe that's more like he's pulling book to the quote unquote dark side. And maybe that's why I don't like him. But Honestly, I I was not paying attention to what you just said, other than I don't like him. So when he was on screen talking, I pretty much tuned him out, honestly. <laughs> you know, it's it's great. And uh, it, Trick does this so well. These gray area characters that are like, maybe their, their end result may be good, but they're just, their way of going about it is terrible. But they, they put these actors that play them and their, their scripts and it's just always just so really good. And Kyle, I'm listening to you describe Tarka and just your dislike of him. And I keep being reminded of how I so hated Kyle Wynn. Yep. Yep. Even though Kyle Wynn's character was excellent, they could not have written that character any better for what she was. But I hated her. Yeah. And I know that's a strong word, but I mean, and I hear that coming from you, not hate, but I mean, I hear that coming from you, your reflections of Tarka. And I'm just thinking how well Star Trek does that. A lot of, a lot of shows, movies, like the antagonist is always like one side or the other. Like they're either really, really terribly bad and you just can't get on board with them or they're just not at all. You know what I mean? They, they play that gray area perfectly. And, and to add to what you just said, Jonathan, it and I agree a million percent with you, but to make that magic work, yes, it has to be well written. But if you don't cast the right person in the role, let's look at uh, the original Janeway. You know, we love Kate Mulgrew as the original, I mean, as Janeway, but we all know that she wasn't their first choice. Yep. yep. You know, so... It all goes down to not just writing, but the casting of the actor and, Absolutely. and, and the, the merger, the symbiosis between actor and character writing when it clicks, whether it's we love Michael Burnham because she's an awesome character or I don't like Tarka because the actor portrays that character so well that I tune out whenever I see him. Well, speaking of characters, let's jump into a new character. For this episode in Haz Mazzaro, portrayed by Daniel Kosh. Quark stand in question mark thoughts. Mm, I never put it together like that. I would say close, but I think he's probably a little more successful than Quark. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I really like this character, man. Me too. Did they mention what species he's, he was? Uh, I looked it up and it's unknown or unnamed, but. Yeah, great design for a new alien, I thought. Uh -huh. Very intriguing. Uh, I loved, I, I actually love the dealing and willing aspect of him. You know, very much reminds me of Quark in that aspect. 
maybe a little bit more honest than Quirky is, to be honest, <laughs> to be truthful about it. <laughs> and and to me, what I loved about seeing him and even going to this to this barge, I think it's a great peek into that one year we didn't see between Book and Burnham. We're finally seeing some of it now. Right. The only thing I will add to that and, and furthering, and I'm sounding like a broken record here, but furthering what Jonathan and, I, and we were just talking about, this is another example in the opposite direction. First time we've seen this character, the actor portrayed kind of a, could be a sleazy character, but we're talking about the fact that we accepted him for what he was, but we kind of liked him. Yeah. Well, with that being said, let's let's talk about the book and Burnham dynamic in this episode. And let's just, again, take it to its logical conclusion. Feel free to mention any specifics about their interaction in this episode. Cal, can you start us off talking about this tug of war between the two uh, and near the end of this episode or second latter half of this episode? Mm. So here's how I interpreted it. You you and another person have this out or that you disagree about this big whatever this big whatever is but that doesn't change all the knowledge and the experiences that you've had with this person so while you can be on the opposite ends of the field you still have this history that allows you to play off and against that's where i came into the to win is to lose and to lose is to win and it's all in how you play your hand yeah they were both playing off of each other's strengths and weaknesses, but at their own perspectives. Yeah. So that's that's how I saw this entire thing with the two of them was they both had where they wanted to get. They both used each other in different ways, but it was still at the opposite spectrums. I did feel for Barnum, though, when she expected him to mm. go the route she wanted, and he still didn't. That's where I felt like he's not coming back. Yeah. That, that, that's the moment that it was like, this is over for them. Yeah, it, it, it keeps coming back to can he be redeemed? And she keeps giving him the out, you know, come on, we can fix this. And it reminds me of that rap song, John. Don't save her. She don't want to be saved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Kyle, I agree. He, I did feel sorry for Burnham in that moment where, you know, her last stitch effort and she kind of, you know, in that moment, like I I felt really bad because she really had hopes that he would make the right choice. And he didn't. I was like, oh, why'd you do her like that? And she had. Mm. But really, really, and we get to the end and realize she didn't actually. She played actually, him. Right. She kind of <laughs> knew where he was going to go. So kudos to her, to the character, because, I mean, even though she had hopes that he would make the right choice, ultimately, she knew he wouldn't. But let me add this real quick. You know, we talked in previous episodes when we met the president about this dynamic with her and the president. I think in this episode, we see an ending of trust between book and Burnham. Yeah. But I think we see the beginning of a deeper trust between the president and Burnham because you basically had a love interest that you mm. used yeah. slash moved on from for the Federation, for Starfleet. Yeah. And man, this is such not only is it a high stakes Leonian poker game, it's 
high stakes for Burnham and Vance and the trust that Rillick has over them. Like if she comes back empty handed after she's already going really kind of skirting against her orders. And then after all that, lose all the money and come back empty handed. Man, her and Vance would have been in in a lot of trouble, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that would have been it. And I still don't quite understand why they're not. I get she found a loophole, but I mean, it's it's the Federation president, right? There's no there's no space there. Mm. You know, it's different if it's a first officer doing kind of skirting the orders of a captain, you know, I, then maybe I can see that like Chakotay and Janeway. Like there was a couple of times Chakotay kind of went against Janeway, kind of not really. Yeah. And they worked through it. But for it to happen from a captain to a president, I don't think there that would be redeemable at all. I think the only thing that gives them out is that the Federation's reconstitution is, is, is so new and fresh. It might be the only, you know, if this was a well-established, well-owned Federation that's been around for hundreds of years. Yeah, they'd be in a brig probably. <laughs> mm. But factor in two, you are dealing with species that are a part of the Federation that are telepathic. So the president in no shape, form or fashion could go and, you know, behind the scenes say, I've said publicly, you need to do this, but I really want you to do this. She couldn't do that. Vance could. That's true. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So while they were, quote unquote, going against her, were they really? Yeah. And and real quick, I want to go back and touch on the actual poker game. Well, I think the theory was really good in concept. I'm not really a poker person, so I'm not going to say I didn't like it, but a lot of it was lost on me. I do think they did a lot of cool things with the camera work. And I thought Book and Burnham's, you know, Burnham being loose and acting silly. I thought all that was fun. And she kind of pulled, you know, Book in to, to work with her and they were running the rift on these guys. I thought all that was fun. But me not really being a poker guy, it was like, eh, let's just get on with it, you know? Yeah, and I, I mean, I've, I've played poker a few times. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a poker guy. I can appreciate the game. But I, I still don't think it was really about the poker anyway. I don't think the writers intended for us to focus on the poker at all. And, that, and, that's, and that's actually in real life when you're playing poker with a bunch of friends or a poker game is really not about the game. It's about what's happening during the game. You know, the talk, the camaraderie and all that, unless you got money on it, of course. I mean, I don't think you miss much by not being a poker guy. What you got from it is the same thing I got from it. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Jonathan. I know how to play poker. I've played poker. But I think what the writers were trying to do is exactly what you said, Jonathan, which was, Yes, they are playing a game, but focus on the fact that they're playing against or they're they're playing off of each other to eliminate the other two players. Then they go head to head because that was their modus operandi is get rid of the others until it's just us and then we'll play each other. (laughs) So, you know, they they could have been playing blackjack or tic-tac-toe for all, uh, you know, it mattered. That is what I took away from it. <laughs> Meanwhile, it was so very obvious they were cheating. Haas <laughs> didn't say anything. <laughs> They're like throwing signs back and forth to each other. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. good. 
And so, and that kind of brings me back to, you know, we were kind of discussing whether or not uh, we would have book next season, but that chemistry just works yeah, with the actors, not, not even just the characters, but the actors themselves. Like if I didn't know any better, I would say they were actual couple in real life. Like that's just a great on-screen chemistry. And you got that from that poker game. Yeah, and they were actually in the ready room. Uh, I didn't watch the full thing. I need to go back and catch it. But but uh, Sonequa and and David Ajala were both a part of the ready room, and yeah, they just got chemistry, man. That's 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 apparent. <laughs> so let's just dissect this a little bit. So basically, the civilization at the coordinates are hidden behind a huge cloak. The crew somehow, our crew of Discovery, somehow miraculously figures out that Boronite is needed in this hyperfield, deducing that the DMA is a glorified mining dredge. What? Did I figure that out in like five minutes of screen time? It just felt that was the trickno babblest of the <laughs> of the babble. It it made no sense that they figured it out that quickly. And again, we have this massive buildup of a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> like it was and I get it. I mean it's satisfactory. Right. But I mean, we were trying to figure out the burn for so long, the burn, the burn, the burn. And yes, it was a satisfactory result and explanation. But I mean, we theorized, we threw out all types of what would have been awesome theories. And, you know, and then it comes to that and it's just kind of like a oh, really, you know, and here we are again throwing around. What is this DMA? And it's a, I, I mean, we've thrown away <laughs> section 31 and control and that, uh, whatever that thing was in Voyager and like, and then it's just a dredge. Like, really? Yeah. You know, I think I'm not so disappointed that it's a dredge to, to scoop up this Boronite, but I'm more disappointed in the writing, not seeding the resolution a little bit better, you know? Maybe at the bin, at the beginning of the episode, throw out like 10 elements and we get the resolution by the end of the episode. But no, just burn just comes up off the top of our head. What about Boronite, guys? You know, it just felt too matter of factly, you know. So any theories surrounding like who the aliens could be? We didn't see the Klingons at the, the Federation Council meeting of Federation and non-Federation worlds. Uh, we didn't see them. Could it be them? Could it be the aliens that we saw uh, that got rescued in the um, the the caught Malat episode? Could it be them? Uh, any thoughts at all? Could it be the Borg, or is it just mm. going to be somebody we just don't know? This this ten C. So I have to discount the Borg theory just on the reason wh- whatever species this is, they're intent on staying in their own little part of space and staying hidden. And that is mm. not Borg MO. <laughs> yeah. But two theories I will throw out there. Uh, one being, or forgive me. I don't remember species eight, four, seven, one, whatever eight, four, it was. Seven, two. Yeah. There you, there you go. That could be, I mean, they want to be left alone and they were in fluidic space. That's where they, that's where they live. And it's like a space outside of something inside of subspace kind of fluidic space i don't know how to explain it that would make sense by them creating this field that they can live in that the board can no longer get to because you remember the problem was the board found out a way into fluidic space yep and basically was screwing around with them uh so they're just trying they just want to be left alone just leave me alone so 
and they were very much technologically advanced to do this. So I could see that being a theory. And my second theory, and this is a stretch, but we saw a changeling. And I also know from DS9, the changelings or AKA the founders, that was their whole goal. They want to be left alone. They believe they are a higher form of life. They've existed before most life. They don't want to be bothered. If you bother them, they'll screw you up. Like, and we also know that they live for a long, 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 long time. So I'm assuming their technology is advanced by now. Mm. So let me give a third option to our theories here. You know, I made a complaint or whatever you want to call it at the beginning, saying that it was really, you know, hard to get back into this story after seeing Prodigy, etc. and so forth. What if this unknown species is the result of something that our friend the Diviner did and that the race is the race that the Diviner has reconstituted and and the reason for interjecting this story of prodigy between this is to introduce that race dude that would freaking blow my mind i don't think that has mark to do that but that would blow my mind dude and for that matter what if they're tying in all of these back-to-back-to-back series that we're getting somehow that would be crazy would be cool it'd be cool i would love it but I'm down for it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, but here we are again, throwing around these great, awesome theories, and it's going to wind up being something like a, <laughs> a federation colony that decided to go off on their own. I, I don't know, man. I like the diviner theory, though. I do like the diviner theory. Or, and I mean, it could just be the federation themselves. So, and the reason Vance is so intent on stopping Tarka. Like maybe before Vance had an option of recouping dilithium, he was somehow creating another space, like another way to live. I don't know. Another energy form. Maybe. Hopefully we'll get some resolutions here soon. And real quick before we wrap, uh, what do you guys think of the scene we had between Colbert and Stamets where Colbert was basically having a temper tantrum? What? They needed a flash drive moment. I just, I want a more substantive Colbert episode, if that makes sense. Like, I, I like the character. I like Colbert, but usually most of his episodes are just kind of very surface level. We don't really get it. And I guess that's, I mean, been, I mean, the cow's been saying it a lot. You said a couple of times, we were just not digging into these secondary characters much, but you know, if we're going to focus the scene on Cobra, I want it more than, like you say, a temper tantrum. Yeah. T- telling the um, the dot to get out the way. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> Go back to your dock. <laughs> like he's a rumba. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> like, I can't buy him even being mad for one second. It was hilarious. The acting was not great in that scene to me. And Stamets, listen. If you're going to be the supportive person in the relationship and you see your significant other going through this much turmoil, like your soul can't be. Let's go walk through a field of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I expected a lot more than that. Hey, brother, got the holodecks, man. I mean, I was... exactly. And your thing is, let's go to the holodeck and make a field of flowers and walk through them. Hey, it might be relaxing, dude. Come on, man. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> 
All right, let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. And I will go first because I think I'm going to be the lowest. I'm going to rate it 3.2 Ooh. dots that need to go back to a dock out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Cal Jones, what about you, man? I'm going to give it 3.2 bots that leave their charging dock after you leave out of five. <laughs> oh, wow. What about you, Judd? So maybe I'm still riding a high from Prodigy, but I'll have to give it a solid 4.4. All righty. I liked it. I really did like it. There's there's some loose ends. Like I said, the Cobra situation and then the explanation on what the DMA was is kind of disappointing. But other than that, pretty good episode, man. I loved it. With that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. As always, if you have thoughts on the episode, you can send that into fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at discussingtrek on any and all social medias. And you can also use those outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, I know we don't have a new Trek trivia this week, but you're going to give us answers for last week's, right? Uh, yeah, I guess we can. I guess we can do that. We left them waiting long enough. Can you give us a refresher on what the question was? So... Last week, we talked a little bit about the Universal Translator, or the UT. Uh, we discussed what it was used for. Uh, Ensign Sato, which is the communications officer on Enterprise, took the UT and kind of revamped it, made it smaller, and made it faster. And we did talked a little bit more about the history, but my question was, what was the reason that made her well, why did she do that what caused her to want to do that now i know we gave the off-screen reason for why we even had the translators right we gave the off-screen so it's the on-screen reason of why to make them smaller faster stronger yep hmm. yep and that i don't know i know if we think about the time of um of 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 of, of that character it was all about join uh creating the federation and going out and exploring more so enlightenment man i really don't know the answer to this well you you're in the ballpark so close to the end of enterprise when we started forming the uh first parts of the federation they called it the coalition of planets at the time well that first big meeting at starfleet headquarters so the coalition of planets they brought all of these species together and had to kind of lay down the foundation of that. So they wanted to be able to communicate with each other in real time without delay. Mm. So they could have a clear understanding of what they were starting. Oh, so man. she had to create the UT, make it portable to attach to the clothing. So you didn't have to hold the device. And you also didn't have to wait for it to listen and figure out syntax and all that and translate. So it actually translated on the fly immediate. So you could, they could just talk to each other without interruption or issues. So, oh man, just f yep, for the formation of our very first members of the Feder of the Federation Coalition of Planets, we needed a better UT and that's why I was there. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Now, let me ask you this. I know that's kind of answer to last week's trivia, but was it the fact that we knew all of the races that would be attending the meeting and we knew their languages beforehand that she could make it work so flawlessly because i do remember in the beginning of discovery they were having issues with uh translating the klingons in some parts of the episode if i remember correctly it, yes it's possible um i mean a big part of it yes we already knew the species 
the reason from the research I gathered when I was looking up this question, the reason why sometimes even in the future now you get in TNG Voyager and all that, where the U- universal translators are having issues. And I didn't know this. Uh, it also kind of functions on brave brainwave patterns. Hmm. Okay. And if a species brainwave patterns are abnormal, then the UT has to strictly focus on what it's hearing verbally. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> that is kind of nuts. I didn't know. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, we, we still have those issues. So, but anyway, it was good, good stuff, man. I need, I need a UT. Yeah, me too. All right, guys. Well, that's going to be it for this week. Thanks for everyone for joining going to wrap this thing up again if you have any questions or comments you can send that into fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at discussingtrek on any and all social medias thanks for joining guys and until next time live long and prosper Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Adventure. Your traveling companions are fellow fans of Doctor Who. That's right, it's the podcast Discussing Who, exploring the worlds of Doctor Who, past, present, and future. Find out more at discussingwho.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.